This episode of the Children's Literature Podcast is brought to you by finding the last piece of my kids' school uniform. Finding the last piece of the school uniform. Now that we're ready for tomorrow, my life can proceed. Welcome to the Children's Literature Podcast. I'm your host, TQ Townsend. This is a review of Episode 7 of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. We Find Out the Truth, Sort of, is the second-to-last episode of Season 1 and is based on the end of Chapter 17 through the very beginning of Chapter 20 of The Lightning Thief by Rick Reardon. This review will take a look at how faithfully the show interprets the book. So if you haven't read the book or seen the show, go do some reading, then do some watching, then come on back. I'm still hooked on this series, despite the previous entry being pretty weak. It starts out with Percy walking into a waterbed showroom. This moment sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole, because the door chime is set to the tune of La Marseillaise, which is the national anthem of France. Just about everything in a fictional TV show is intentional, especially any use of music. This is because the lawyers will have gone over everything to make sure that nobody can sue the production company. As La Marseillaise was written in 1792, it's for sure in the public domain. But why was this the song that was chosen to play? Especially given that at this moment, there's also some music score playing underneath. Inquiring minds want to know. And by inquiring minds, I mean me. I want to know. So if you know, please tell me. I wish the rest of the episode was as engrossing as this moment, but alas, it was not. In the last episode, Hermes gave the kids a big envelope full of instructions, complete with a map. We never see any of this stuff, though, so the kids must have read it off screen. This didn't happen in the book, and I don't like this change at all. I can't think of a less interesting way to tell a story than to have Percy be handed the script, which he reads off screen and then confidently obeys. This means he never makes any choices, and we don't get to see his character develop in moments of doubt or confusion. In The Lightning Thief, the kids have a run-in with the monster Procrustes before making their way to DOA Studios, a record label up in Hollywood that is also the entrance to the underworld. In the TV show, they've combined the two locations, which makes sense for the sake of abridgment, but I do wish they'd managed to find a way to keep DOA records in the story. There's a symbolic reason for each location in the Percy Jackson series. The Empire State Building is the new site of Mount Olympus, because it's a symbol of New York itself and lies at the heart of Manhattan. As the biggest city in America, the historic gateway for immigrants from all nations, and the financial capital of the world, it makes sense for Olympus to be in the heart of New York. Likewise, you'll need somewhere far away and very different for Hades to dwell in. The music industry in L.A. has a certain reputation, and to be honest, it's deserved. Having the entrance to the realm of Hades inside a recording studio makes a lot of sense, too. In fact, if the word ever got out that such a place actually existed, a lot of musicians would literally sell their souls to make an album there. But we never get the chance to see any of this. Percy goes into the waterbed shop, where he instantly recognizes his half-brother Procrustes, because he read the script. Ugh. Protagonists are not interesting when they know everything and don't have to struggle. The kids defeat Procrustes with absolutely no trouble at all, making the entire scene pointless. In the book, Percy kills Procrustes without hesitation, but here the kids just leave him tied up in a bed. 
The trio of friends descend to the underworld, which is pretty underwhelming. It's very gray and you can't see much. I don't know if this was an artistic choice or if they just didn't have the budget to do something more interesting, but I would have liked to see something that looked more like a kid-friendly version of a heavy metal album cover from the early 1980s. Instead, the entire episode is just really, really dark. In many scenes, you can barely see what's going on. There's a long line of souls waiting to get into Hades' realm. British listeners, please brace yourselves. The kids push their way to the front instead of waiting patiently in the queue. I know. It's very shocking. The kids meet Charon, who's as dull as the landscape. In the book, he's dressed like a bouncer from a trendy Hollywood nightclub, complete with an Italian suit. Here he's just wearing a boring black robe, and you never even see his face properly. In The Lightning Thief, he's very funny, complaining about low pay and poor working conditions. The kids bribe him with golden drachmas to get in. In the show, Charon just says, You're not dead, in a very flat tone, and then calls Cerberus, who turns out to be the underworld's most useless guard dog. His three heads are those of a Rottweiler, though, so that at least matches the novel. I think the writers could have found a way to keep some of the more colorful elements from the book without making the episode too long. I don't understand the point of interacting with characters like Procrustes and Charon if they show no personality and neither help nor hinder Percy and his friends. This is sightseeing, not storytelling. In a well-told tale, every character should help or hinder the protagonist in some way. Every encounter should give that protagonist the chance to learn, grow, struggle, make a choice, get closer to or farther from a goal, something. Good stories don't include passages that say, and then the hero met some guy who was eating soup. The hero walked by him and nothing important happened. This is effectively what happened with Procrustes and Charon. The kid's encounter with Cerberus was at least interesting, and there did seem to be genuine danger, but the three-headed dog himself didn't have a lot of personality, and I would have taken the whole thing more seriously if one of the kids had been injured or at least showed some sign of being really rattled. The show makes more strange choices, unfortunately. The plot decides to eject Annabeth by having her get snared in a growing plant that traps those who have regret. She has to use her magic pearl earlier than planned in order to escape back up to Los Angeles. In The Lightning Thief, she goes with Grover and Percy all the way to Hades' palace, and I can't think of a good reason for the writers to kick her out of the story early. Grover loses his magic flying shoes into the pit of Tartarus, as described in the novel, although, again, the show has toned everything down a bit too much. In the book, Grover gets pretty scratched up while trying to keep from being sucked into the giant chasm, and the kids are terrified by the experience. The actor playing Percy gives a good performance in this scene, but the filmmakers forgot to add stuff like sweat, ripped clothes, dirty faces, or showing signs of injury. This is a nice, clean family show, so they don't need to show blood, but it would have been easy to show the actors limping a little after this, or at least walking like they're exhausted, so the audience could see they've been through something intense. Hades is a bit different from the book, but I like the take on the character. As with Ares, his appearance has been toned down, because this is a show for kids, and we don't want to scare the kids. He's civil and tries to be friendly with his nephew, cracking a dad joke, and awkwardly trying to relate to him. Once again, though, the writers cut out the good funny parts from the book. In The Lightning Thief, Hades explains to Percy that he doesn't want a big war because he already has plenty of dead people to deal with. 
Given the population explosion of the 20th century, he's had to add expansions to the underworld just to warehouse all the souls. This is a moment that manages to be very funny without disrupting the seriousness of the scene, and it would have worked perfectly in the show. Overall, I do like the scenes in Hades' palace. The actor playing the god of the underworld makes a big impression in a short amount of time, and the set is nicely designed. I like that he has just a very simple, tasteful living room with a Chesterfield sofa and some Hieronymus Bosch scenes painted on the wall. It would have been nice to get to see this sense of style elsewhere in the episode. Kids who watch this show will actually get a pretty good tour of the ancient Greek underworld. After seeing this episode, you can research the realm of Hades with your kids. Have them draw a map showing the rivers that flow into the underworld, Charon's boat ferry, the various fields, the Garden of Persephone, and Hades' palace. You can also have them draw Cerberus in any way they imagine, scary or cute. Interspersed through the episode are flashbacks to a time before the events of The Lightning Thief, where Percy's mother is really struggling to raise a son who just doesn't fit into the human world. She's doing her best, but because he's just a little kid, Percy misinterprets her desperate attempts to find a good school for him as an effort to get rid of him. At the episode's conclusion, Percy's mom summons Poseidon to ask for his help and advice. This scene is very well acted and shot. The actors never look one another in the face, expressing their deep connection purely through subtle facial expressions and the emotions in their voices. The camera rarely focuses on Poseidon, giving him the feeling of being someone that ordinary humans can't ever really comprehend. These scenes don't seem to have anything to do with the rest of the plot at first, as they mainly provide backstory for Percy. But at the end, flashback scenes are interwoven with the current day, and as Percy finds himself back on the beach in Santa Monica about to have a duel with Ares, Poseidon promises his mother that one day, when their son needs him, he'll be there for him. It ties up the episode nicely and sets things up for the conclusion in a pretty satisfying way. Overall, I feel this episode abridged a lot of material from the book well. My main complaints are in the production choices. Most of the episode was poorly lit and had no sense of style. The few scenes that were allowed to have color, like the waterbed showroom and Hades' living room, were fantastic. So this show can have a sense of style, it just didn't for a lot of the time. The writers also scrubbed out a lot of the personality and wit from the novel, often at times when it would have cost nothing to the runtime or budget to keep them in. And I don't understand at all why they would kick Annabeth out halfway through. Maybe the actress had a dentist appointment that day? I give on-screen adaptations of children's books from one to five Snapes, based on how faithful they were to the original source material. This episode of Percy Jackson and the Olympians gets three Snapes. I had to knock off one Snape for the way the writers made Procrustes and Charon pretty useless, half a Snape for cutting out all the good jokes from the book, and half a Snape for ejecting Annabeth from the plot when she belonged in the story the whole time. Despite my quibbles, I enjoyed this episode, and I'm eager to see how the final installment will wrap things up. Shows starring kids are always a gamble, as it's a lot to ask of people who don't have a lot of experience in life or with acting. However, lead actor Walker Scobell is proving himself with his natural, convincing presence. On top of that, he's very capable in action scenes, not just performing stunts well, but continuing to be very emotionally expressive the whole time. I think he's doing a great job, and I hope this is the beginning of a long, happy career for him. Are you watching Percy Jackson and the Olympians with your kids? What did you think of this episode? 
Are you excited for the conclusion? Let me know. You've been listening to the Children's Literature Podcast. Please subscribe and give the show a rating. Send comments to letters at childrensliteraturepodcast.com. I'm your host, TQ Townsend. Thanks for listening.